This is Gaming and BS. Here, can you hear now? I don't think anybody liked what you're doing there. I'm so putting it in just because you said don't put it in. You know that, right? Heavy on the BS. Heavy on the BS. You totally wrecked our legal fund, dude. We are out. You know, if we, anything comes up next year, we get sued again. It's just we don't have it. We're going to have to dig deep. Gaming and BS, episode 13. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I am Brett. Welcome back. So. Hey, Brett, how are you doing today? Not too bad, Sean. It's like I've seen you a few times. This is amazing. <laughs> so Brett and I, this is our second go around for the podcast. We did an episode. We didn't like it. We're not going to shovel it to you. We no. Sh- we shovel a lot of stuff. But not that. No. Thanks for tuning in. Much appreciated. Second. And this is episode 13, take two. Yes. All right, let's uh, kick off things. Announcements? Brett, you got any? No, nothing really this time around. It's been pretty quiet in the uh, gaming and BS averse. Yeah. Um, so no no announcements necessarily uh, that I can think of. Um, we do have a new setup. Uh, sound quality, I'd like to hear your feedback on that. I, uh, I, I spent some money on some gear and uh, to up the quality, um, and hopefully you notice a little bit of difference. We're doing this show actually live, so just to give you some background, typically Brett and I do an hour show, or well, maybe more. Brett sends me a file. I, I dump it in the garage band, edit it. So when I edit it, I listen through the entire show and take out certain things, maybe a little annoyances, maybe a dog barks, or I got a cat that jumps up on my table and I cuss it out. So what? hopefully everything goes smoothly in this show and I don't have to do anything and I'll just be able to save it and upload it. So kind of unedited, I'm trying to get used to all the buttons and disc, you know, thingamabobs. It's a new system, man. We got to learn this new system. I know, right? Got to um, master it. So, um, why don't we go? Why don't we just? Uh, so, we have a new sponsor. And let's see. Let's just go into that quick. Tired of reaching into a dirty sack to get your dice? You have to dump all of your dice on the table just to find the exact one you need. Have a dice bag that is drab, boring, and just plain bleh. Well, get yourself a dice bag from Great Out Productions. Michael Althauser, not only the owner, but a gamer, makes quality handmade dice bags that can be printed with a custom logo, or you can choose from ones in his gallery. Great Out Productions, maker of fine dice bags. Use the promo code GAMINGNBS to receive 10% off his website, greatout.etsy.com. Follow the link in our show notes. All right, and we're back. Thanks to Michael for sponsoring the show. Much appreciated. Absolutely. He's a, he's a cool dude and uh, does good work, and it's really nice to have him along. So we started the first show, and uh, we won't go into a lot of detail because you guys would probably be like, oh, I would have really thought what you guys had to say was important on that topic. but It wasn't. No. It wasn't that important. <laughs> so right after the show, right after the recording, Brett and I sat uh, and just 
do what we do best is BS about gaming. And what we were talking about was like, why aren't we recording this? Uh, it's much more better. So typically we do an outline and we kind of go through the outline so we don't talk in circles. But I don't know, maybe we, maybe that's just the way to do things. So we're, this may be, I don't know. Let, so we did another outline, but we're not putting any details in it necessarily. So we're just going to talk about um, what what we want to talk about. And, you know, if it goes in circles, so be it. Yeah, we started off thinking about, hey, you know, let's talk about you know, like longevity with game groups and so on. And we kind of got going and I kind of about halfway in, I'm like, fuck, I just don't want to talk about this. This is not that interesting. But we got through like, OK, I had some nice points and kind of hang up, if you will, that piece of it. And we start talking and talking. We get off on this other tangent. What happens is uh, my buddy Lenny had brought up something to me a while back when we talked about like system matters. And um, he had a couple posts on Google Plus. We've shared some text and other things. And I, I know where he stands. I know where a number of other people in my group stand. And Sean and I started talking about that a little bit more. And I've kind of I decided this this take two episode is it's how you use it, right? That's that's what we're looking at. And by that, I mean it's not necessarily the system you choose, but it's how you use that system that really matters. And I think that's kind of a natural extension from our system matters debate slash discussion we had last time. And that's kind of where Sean and I started going off the rails a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, this is a lot cooler topic. Let's let's uh, see what we can pick up here. So one of the things that we run into is some individuals that we get not, well, well, in the hobby is the difference between, so Brett and I get in this debate about, uh, Brett's not a big fan of Savage Worlds necessarily. No, I think we were, we started talking about, okay, um, can you run basically Pathfinder without dice? Can you do this type of thing? More theater of the mind versus miniatures and how crunchy the rules have to be. And then we kind of got into, you know, well, Savage Rules and Fate and some of those types of systems that have like, uh, I think Robin Law's drama system does it too, but you get these like, like tokens type of thing or Fate Chips or Bennies and things that you can use for, within the system to influence the story. Even things as, like in the gumshoe world where, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have investigative skill and you use the skill in the right area, you obtain the clue. There's no die roll for clue finding. You simply find it. What happens is that sometimes people read those rules and they say, so I just walk in, say I use forensic pathology, I just get stuff. Okay, where's the freaking challenge in that? That doesn't make any sense. Or they say, you know what, <clears throat> I don't like giving, I don't mind my players having some control over the story type of thing, but I don't like this feeling or theory or concept that they can quote unquote derail it or break the story by using a Benny at the wrong time or by forcing me to use some feature of my character sheet that I don't want to have because it takes me out of the story. I'm suddenly looking at my character sheet, figuring out how, figuring out how to stop this thing. And it becomes um, a poker game, right? Where you're just throwing chips in back and forth, trying to get into something, get out of something, whatever the case may be. <clears throat> and so what that got Sean and I into was like, I said, well, that's what I think, or that's what I know Lenny and I have talked about, and that's kind of where we're coming from. And Sean's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not, that's not how it actually works. Have you played with somebody who does that really well? And I'm like, you yeah, know, that's a fair point. And um, Sean, I think at the end of it, we're kind of where we're going with this is saying, if you're game mastering Savage Worlds, and you're going to run it the way Sean runs it. You're not going to want to run it the way Brett runs it. Pathfinder or D&D is probably a better example. 
Pathfinder D&D. Absolutely. Right. Where you can run Pathfinder without miniatures. You can run Pathfinder total. Um, what am I going to say? Total, um, you know, theater of the mind. And you can do it. You could do it without dice. You could do it without a lot of combat. You know, you can simplify, ignore and talk your way through things instead of um, constantly rolling dice or using skill trees and so forth. You could you could simplify it. Um, but then. So my argument that, is, no, you can't. No, you can't. Well, <laughs> so then it came down to like, well, I run it like this and it can be done that way. And so that was where the debate led. And so in a nutshell, what Brett was saying, I'm like, yeah. Um, so yeah, path. Okay. If you're playing a game like Pathfinder and I just throw Pathfinder out there just because it's pretty popular and a lot of people know about it and have maybe played with it or know the rules and there's this, so there's story and mechanics and the tactics piece and Brett has as a, I guess a good GM, <laughs> even though I've never experienced it. Um, he can do things within the story without having the rules be a hindrance, right? So yeah. now my argument would be, or even some people's out there that I've actually debated with, um, is if you're not playing by the rules outlined in the book, then you're not really playing that game, which is like an old guy Gax thing, right? Or somebody, you know, Brett said, well, Gary would roll over because that's what he said about D&D. And I think with Pathfinder specifically, because there's a lot of miniatures in that and there's a lot of ranges and yes of course it can be circumstantial circumstantial is the word circumvented well you can kind of hand wave it or not and just and 5e i think is going there to some degree you're either near far what have you and you can whip out miniatures if you want but i said so somebody may like the story piece of it and they don't like fate though the fate people will say dude if you like story fate is where it's at because it's all story based type of mechanics but then brett would say well you can do counteract that with fate points now i haven't played fate i own the fate system you know and so i'm only kind of i can only guess at some of how this works right well i think that's actually one of the, the gist of, of the issue right is that we between you and I, I have a ton of systems I've never played that I own or I have some that I have – I find myself having a very strong opinion about something that I've not played. I've only read the rules. Uh, and, what? Exactly. And then you come back to it and you're like, I think I really need to run it to figure it out. The hard part is then because you, you read through it first. You hear what you hear about it. And you read through it and you say, I think my group would really like this. I think this is going to totally fly because they're really into story and this is a good way to interact and so forth. But then I break it down and say, well, fate points or uh, – so I'm just going to pick on fate. So I say, well, the fate point concept, my group doesn't need that. That feels like a gimmick to us. When I explained it to them, I talked it over and they all said, why do I need a rule for that? We just do that. You just let us do that. I'm like, yeah, but the when we play Osric or Pathfinder, it doesn't have that in you know inherent to the system. We just kind of do it. And like who gives a shit if it's not inherent to the system? That's how we play. It doesn't matter. I don't need a system that specifically does it. What I need is a system that I can do the right level of crunchiness to. And by that, I mean <clears throat> when my group wants to play a D&D game, we want to use a D&D like combat system and magic system. There's certain components of the system that we like. 
uh, combat resolution, initiative rolling, uh, familiarity with spells and some of that stuff. But otherwise, they don't care if um, we don't have the latest list of feats. They're going to come up with their own feat that they want to figure out or they don't care if they don't have a system that inherently has a point or a chip or a Benny or something where you could slide it across the table and say, I'm going to spend this to invoke or to cause X to happen or to try to make that happen. They would just look at me and say, I'm the best blacksmith in the world. How come I can't <clears throat> verify what kind of metal this is? Because that's how I made my character. He's the best blacksmith in the world. They don't want to have to have a, um, a point value to it or a blacksmith Benny pile or a blacksmith chip pile of some sort where they slide over and say, no, I do know what type of metal this is, Brett. Because they know when I turn back to them and say, no, Zave, no matter how good of a blacksmith you are, you're the best damn blacksmith in the entire country, all across the land, other countries who come to you, you're the best dude. You don't know what this is. He sees that as the trigger that says, ah, this is a story plot. This is a big piece of something. This is mystical, magical, otherworldly, whatever the case is. Because I don't even know what it is. So he takes that, runs with it, and plays with it. I don't have to give him anything. Um, and I, Gimmick is a horrible is a horrible term. It makes it sound terrible, and perhaps it's not quite that strong. But <clears throat> I don't need a system to tell me that I can do that. I can do whatever the hell I want. So what ends up happening is that this is how we've always played. So no matter what game system you give me, I'm going to run the game the way Brett runs the game. So when I ran Bookhounds of London, which is the uh, Trail of Cthulhu set in set in England, <clears throat> excuse me again. But when I did that, I ran that the same way I run a Call of Cthulhu adventure with the BRP system. I always found a way to make sure that you had clues, you found stuff. I ignored. I've never used the resistance table in Call of Cthulhu because I can never find it. I forget it. It comes at a time when it feels like it's slowing down the combat or slowing down the encounter. So I just say, fuck it. And I hand wave it or I make up something on the fly and it goes, yeah, that's faster. Good. We'll do that. And that becomes the thing that we do when we play Brett's Call of Cthulhu. That's what we do. And I've had people say, well, that's really not Call of Cthulhu, Brett. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. It has all the right accoutrement, has all the right bits and pieces and story arcs and the right elder gods and everything in it. It's bloody Call of Cthulhu. We just have streamlined it a certain way, and it's Brett's game. So when my group shows up, they're like, hey, I know what this is. It's a Brett game, and that means we can do this type of thing regardless of what system it is. And it comes down to we will not like a system if we feel that it hinders us or tries to force us to play in a certain direction. Like there's too much crunch. Or there's too much, hey, this is how, if you really want to do this talking story thing, this is the method that you have to do it. Otherwise, the system really doesn't have any meat to it. It's just another wonky combat system to learn. So that's what my group looks at. They look at like fate and they say, okay, it's a story mechanic that I don't need because you're going to let me tell the story with our own mechanics that we've always used. It's a new uh, combat and magic system to learn. Fuck it. I don't want to do that. <sighs> so I, and I, I know some of the indie press guys, Ron Edwards back in the sorcerer days. I know Ron's pretty active out there yet. Still, I believe I haven't um, followed him for, for quite some time, but one of the things that they would put out there was like, look, just because Brett runs a really good role master game and a really good GURPS game and a really good, whatever. And Sean's really good at X, Y, or Z. 
it doesn't mean that he should have to use a system that he has to ignore things with. How come he needs a system that only provides 50% or 80% or 90% of how he wants to game? The system should underscore or underline the type of gaming that you and your group want to do. So I get that piece of it to a point, which is why when I find a system like Gumshoe, I'm like, wow, this does, this is an even faster way for me to game the way that I game. So when I start critically looking at any system I, I pick up, I think about how am I going to use it? How will my group take this on? How will they digest this? And will it stop them from doing all the stuff that we've always done? So one of the things that I brought up was creative storytelling, which in my opinion is not a game. And one example I had was I I was involved in a play-by-post and the way that ran was somebody would post something and then it would be, okay, now you're in this mode. I need three things that you're going to – the next three of, of uh, your next three actions. Tell me what you're going to do. And – You'd say, okay, say, for example, you're in the room and you hear footsteps at the door coming towards the door. What are your next three actions? And it was very slow. I mean, it was pain. I mean, it was painfully slow, but it was very, it was more immersive than sometimes face to face because it's all text and you have to read it. And there's, I mean, there's no table talk really. So the person would come back and say, okay, this is what happens based on what you did and would either tell you, it succeeded or not. Now that person as GM, I say that person would maybe roll the dice, maybe not, but would just dictate what quote unquote worked, didn't work through the narration or the text. Is it the speed of that? Is it, is it the speed of resolution that makes you think it's not a game? Well, I think it's, it's because I don't know if they're actually rolling dice and considering what I have for skills or feats. And this happened to be a three, five game. Okay, so because I know I know playing Amber, which is uh, traditionally I mean, is diceless, right? So when you say I have, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm number one in warfare, you always win with warfare unless there's extenuating circumstances against anybody else with warfare who's less than you. So that system is designed so that the discussion and everything plays into that type of storytelling. So I can see, though, <clears throat> I think what we're getting at here is that. The way that system is being used, your expectation of a 3-0 game is like there has to be some – where's my randomizer? How come I don't have a die roll or something to tell me that, look, I'm fifth level and these are goblins. How come this didn't work? You know, My odds percentages or whatever it is, maybe you're not using those words, but it feels like it, your expectation of how that system needs to be used is not in that way. Is that true? Right. Well, well you're, wrong. you're wrong. I don't know I what know, your problem is there. It's, so it's – before I get out of that, hold on. Just one – I apologize. Freaking let left cats in the closets. Hold on. God damn cats, cats in the closets? What the hell? All right. That's just, that's just unacceptable, Sean. Just terrible. So anyway, while Sean's gone, I really think that when it comes down to how you use a system and how your expectation is for how that system is supposed to be used, oftentimes colors whether or not what Sean is about to say um, will work or won't work for you. At least this is what I'm thinking. Okay, Sean. I apologize. I 
I'd give him my, it's a long story. I have to separate my cats when they eat. And I forgot, I forgot I locked them in like the laundry room and like, where are all the cats are? And what's, who's meowing? Oh, oh, it's a cat on torch in the closet. Damn it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so with that, where we left off was that, um, I, I don't know. I don't. Some people will game like that. I had a friend – so I had a friend of mine that I explained that to and said, hey, I want to run the same play-by-post type of scenario. It will be fun and we'll be able to do it at our leisure and it will go slow, but it will be really cool. And he's like, uh, it sounds like collaborative storytelling and I'm not interested in that. It's To him, it wasn't gaming because it didn't have – I mean like I said, I don't know if the GM actually rolled dice to actually find out. I mean he could have just dictated – what happened? Now, you could actually play a game like that and just say... I have. Right, and you have. Yeah. Right, and that's what this episode comes down to is Brett has done that. In systems like Pathfinder where it's like, well, then what's the... F-? So my argument would be, well, well then what's the freaking point? Of using that or saying, hey, we're playing Pathfinder. We're like, look, whoa, you're not playing Pathfinder. You're not, you're not using the basic of the basics, which are the 20-siders and the sixes and so forth. Right. Yes, okay. yes, and yes. Yes, what is the point? And yes, you're not playing that game. Now, what, or just write down on the sheet, like you said, I'm the best blacksmith in the world. And that's your, in, in fate, it would be like your aspect. Or just make up a new game where you just have like, okay, you've got 10 lines and you have to write 10 sentences that make up your character go. And then when you go through the game and you say, I want to do this. I believe Reese. I believe Reese's by S. John Ross is a lot like that. With his, uh, it's a free RPG he does. It's the anything RPG. He calls it the beer and pretzels one. It's kind of you write a bunch of stuff down like you're really good at. I'm I'm a vampire who's good at sucking blood and scaring people. I mean, you write that type of thing down. Yeah. I think the reason my group will grab a system like Pathfinder and say we're going to mod it so that it plays the way we want story wise. The reason we do that is the familiarity with the fighting and the familiarity with the feats and the magic and those underlying underpinning components of it, like the foundational pieces. So if we're playing Call of Cthulhu, they know that sanity is good to keep, bad to lose. Um, Monsters will drive you insane, so that's that's not good. Um, You shoot them, not usually so good, doesn't much matter. Um, Ghouls only eat the dead, they don't eat the living. They have all those underpinning pieces. Whether I play that... With a World of Darkness uh, rule set or whatever it is, they know that there are certain components of it that are there. What we want from the rules, the reason we want to lean on certain ones is so that when we're having a narrative discussion, we can say, well, remember my guy's a fifth-level fighter. He's got 70 hit points. With his feet of great cleave, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work my way through this room of kobolds so I can get over to the bugbear chieftain and make my way there, utilizing the fifth-level skills that, you know, that type of language, I'm kind of slaughtering the, the language my players use, but they utilize the system terms when they describe what they're doing to me so that I'm like, okay, I get it. I know what that means because I know how that rule functions. If I were moving miniatures on a mat, I can see it in my head saying, okay, I get it. You're going to cast fireball. I want to make sure it's centered over here and so forth. They're using the same terms and whatnot. We're just doing it. It's it's mostly when you take the miniatures off the table and you get theater of the mind. And it's just a natural, in my opinion, extension from that. But the reason the system matters is that we have familiarity with how the adjudication should run. When I say the fireball doesn't affect the white dragon, somebody's going to go, what the fuck? 
because that's not how that's supposed to work by the rules. You, we've always said that, you know, if there was a rule for blacksmith skill and you have 99% and I tell you, well, you can't figure out how to do this thing with your blacksmith skill, they're not going to assume in a, in a, uh, they're not going to assume that Brett rolled dice and I actually rolled a one. Ha ha ha. Too bad for you. They're going to say, Brett's telling me that this is so difficult or so crazy bad that my 99 still isn't good enough because this is otherworldly. Aha, this is something to it. I think a lot of this may fit in with, so if we have OSR individuals that listen to the show, they probably would say, duh, just it's OSR, man. Oh, absolutely. It's basic basic D&D. This is one of the reasons why my group, um, at this point, I like the Osric system. One, it's it's nicely laid out and it's free. That's really cool. And when you look at it, our group has the familiarity with the combat, what stats mean. I have an 18 in that. I have a 17 in that. I don't have to translate that to anything because I know I know exactly what the fuck that does. I'm a 10th level fighter. I know what that means. I'm a first level wizard. I know exactly what that means or magic user, however, whatever label you want to give it. So we know what that is. And then we can adjudicate properly based on the stories we want to tell. I do not – my group does not need a system that says at this point you can invoke this thing or you should use a point or you should um, uh, roll the dice against this feat for a percent chance to do this or whatever it is. They just want to be able to talk through certain things. When it gets to combat, <clears throat> yes, we like to roll our – if we're you know not play by post, if we're in place – I want to roll a d20 to hit in a in a fantasy game. I want to roll you know d8 for my longsword. I want d4 plus one for magic missiles and so forth. They just know that stuff. That's the comfort. That's just the shit that they know after years and years of doing this that you just click, 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 click. You grab it and go. And if I say, hey, um, that's going to cost you five sanity and call Cthulhu, whether I have them roll it or I just assign the sanity loss, they're like, okay, I know what that means. I'm good. Scritch it off in the sheet and off we go. So when you um – when you so do your players get hung up or do they like getting the goodies i mean do they like hey i got a cool sword and i can't totally wait, i can't wait to get the next level because then i'll get this feat yeah it's i mean everybody has the pavlovian thing where you want to level up or get better in some way however the system does and that again is why the system it's how i'm using the system that matters more than the system itself they want a system that gives them regular bumps or regular enough bumps that it makes sense that they understand it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, when I'm third level, I should have some more hit points. I'll get some more of this. Great. I survived this long. I got some extra skill bumps or whatever the case may be. And they want, when they find the gear, they find that magic ring or that magic, whatever. That's really cool too. They want that stuff. Part of it is because that adds to their character's uniqueness. It adds to their background. It adds to the story that they're telling like, Hey, I found this thing. I, you know, I've had guys name axes. They've named stuff. Well, they've found artifacts. And, you know, that's different. I think that's different. I think, absolutely. If you get, so I should have probably been more clear. I think that's different. If you get a goodie and you get a ring and you want to put that as part of the story on how you found the ring and it's got a name and a history, that's different. I'm talking about like, oh, now I've got cleave, great cleave. Now, yeah, you want, you want to get that because that, is the enabler for you to tell me, hey, I've got great cleave. I'm looking across the battlefield. Does this guy look – how tough is he? You know, based on all the feats and skills I have, that bugbear chieftain, is he really a badass? 
well, yeah, he's just hacking through, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God, he's kind of the way Brett's describing it. I'll bet that has to do with my great cleave, you know, leaning on my great cleave feet or ability or whatever else you want to call it like that. I'm a 10th level fighter. Can I assess this? There's no rule in OSR that says, yes, assessing other fighters is, you know, a DC 10. It doesn't say that. No, I know. But do you – so then if you – um, so you take in the level consideration. I take um, as much into consideration as possible. And if I don't take something that my player thinks I should, they will bring it up. The group will tell me, hey, don't forget, <clears throat> or if I if I lay out – you know, an adjudication edict or whatever it is you want to call it. I've even had the high school kids do this. And my, my own my own two sons have done this to me before where I'm doing something. Go, wait a minute. Last time we used that spell, it did 2d6. Oh, crap. You're right. I forgot. Back. Go. Yeah, okay. Off we go. Well, okay, Brad, I guess I can't figure out what that fighter is. But that's kind of strange being, I mean, I am 10th level and I have been in untold battles with bugbears before. It's kind of it must be really crazy bugbear that I can't figure it out. I'm like, all right, Zave, you got me. It's I forgot. Good point. You're gonna know this. So when you're telling a story like that, if you're if you don't have a system to do it, there's always the chance that I'm gonna say something and adjudicate improperly, and they're gonna have to bring me back and I'll have to scratch that out and rewrite the answer. It happens sometimes. So is it important that when you're playing Pathfinder that they have those rules that they are following to the point of because a lot of the rules are just a lot of the rules are combat oriented or have to do with a particular mechanic bump buff whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering is if you don't need those or maybe you do then I can see playing Pathfinder and telling the story through that game system well, if we're rolling dice at the table, which is 99.99% of how we do it, we're, we get together in person or on a, a hangout or something, we're rolling dice and we're reporting, hey, I rolled this, I rolled for shit or whatever the case is. You have that so that way when you want to utilize that thing in its normal combat context, I want to use this spell, I need to know what the DC save is on it or what your saving throw happens to be or whatever – there are certain points where we're like, yeah, I need to know this thing, so we're going to do a very tactical component of it. But again, what's happening is that we're taking the game system, whatever it is, and we're only utilizing the rules bits at the points when we feel they're necessary. Otherwise, I just fucking ignore them, and my group does it all the time. I see kids do this when I game with the high schoolers all the time as well. We'll be going through something, and he's like, look, I'm a thief. I've got really good climb walls. I just want to shimmy up this thing. I don't always make him roll. I'm like, okay, there's nothing happening. There's no one in your way. Just scoot up there. That's fine. You you get up there a little tricky, so on and so forth. Then he takes that. DM said that's a little tricky. And he says, well, I'm going to make sure I secure a rope because that was a little bit tricky for me. And I'm the best climber in this group. So I'm going to secure that 50-foot rope, throw it down there, make sure I steady it. I had that happen last time I played. And the kid had nothing to go on other than that I dropped the phrase, it was a tricky ascent for you. And he took it and just ran with it. Now, okay, you can do that in any game system, whatever the point is. But as soon as I didn't make him roll a die and then make everybody else roll this, that, and the other thing, and he told me he's going to do this extra thing to help make it easier for people to climb, I just assigned random bonuses, you know, so you can do that. 
And I know every system you can assign random bonuses. It, there's, there's no rule anywhere that says you can't. But when a system is incredibly crunchy and very, very rules heavy, or when the tone, this is really big for me, and this is kind of where I get where, where I was at the game balance perspective the, the other time, is that if the tone from the authors is such that if you're playing this right, the spirit of right for this game is by the book. The spirit of playing this thing the right way is if you roll for all of these things or you have this thing. And if the spirit of playing fate, as we've said, is to utilize fate points in this fashion, and this is how you would have this. You look at their examples of play and so forth. If they're laid out a certain way, you're like, this is how I am, quote unquote, supposed to play the game to really experience it. So, God, I'm kind of going off in a loop here, but at the end of the day, so that, I mean, what I've just said for the last bit, that's how I play. That's how my group plays. Fine. The reason we're going to look at a system like Fate and say, eh, not for us, is because I read the examples of play. I see how they want to play. I read the tone. I look at everything there. I like what they've got. I think it's really cool. But look at what my group is going to do with that. And they're going to look at me and say, I don't need that. I'm going to throw all that shit out, Brett. I'm going to have to learn a new magic system and a new fighting system and a new skill system. Really? Can't we just play World of Darkness? We know that like the back of our hand. Put us in a different world. Let's just use the core system that we're comfortable with. And we're just going to play it the way we want to anyway. Just don't because I don't want to have to be playing the game wrong or have to have you mod the shit out of this game so that you can actually make it do what we want it to do. Now, how much is that just, so I've got buddies of mine that are like that who have that similar thinking. Smart men, very smart. But they don't, they don't give anything else a shot. Okay. So, so so is how much is it like, we don't want to learn anything new, quote unquote. It's new and scary. Yeah. The metrics, the metric system is a tool of the devil. I remember back in the day when we just had two paperback, you know, manuals that were 70 pages long. You know. I think I don't, I don't have as much of that. And the biggest problem with a brand new system with my group is the sheer volume of shit that we already own. Well, I get, they look at the, and yeah. they go, "Oh my god, really? W- tell me one thing, Brett, about this game that wows my socks so hard that I gotta buy it." Because it because it facilitates what you want yeah, out of a it, fucking game. It has to. It has to do that. That's <laughs> yeah. why. That's why Gumshoe works well with my group. I know Lenny's not a huge fan of it, but the way we do it, it facilitates Brett's storytelling style. It facilitates the Wasa Gaming Group, my crew. It facilitates the way we game in Brett's. Call of Cthulhu y stuff yeah. really, really well. So we like it and we go with it. When I have tried the Savage Worlds thing with my group a couple times, that does not facilitate how we game. I still, and I've said this before on this podcast, I really think I need to play a Savage Worlds game with somebody who knows that system really well to prove me wrong. Because I read it, I like what I'm seeing. I'm not so worried about the bennies and some of that stuff. I think I could make this work. But there's something about it that when I brought it to my group, they went, eh, this feels like a gimmick. It feels too, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. But they just said, I don't like it. I don't like, it seems like math by fours. I don't like this gimmick. I don't like having chips. I don't like the, you know. When they looked at it, they felt stymied. And these are my words, right? Right. 
we it seemed like we just felt stymied by having to learn the new combat system, having to learn the new magic system, the new powers and skills, and figuring out how we're supposed to do our usual story interactions to do it right. Dude, it's so this is what kills me is that I don't think you need to know. So you're you're I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we're wrong in that case. At least that's no, what it feels like. It's not wrong. It's just that it's weird. It's a weird oh, argument. No, I, oh, it's so wrong. It's an argument where it's really kind of contrary to to what you've said. It and maybe it's just my brain interpreting this because you sit and say we do we do this thing in like that that kid, you know, in the OSR and he said, "Oh, Brad said it was really tough." Like you can do that in any system. I know you can. Like which you can is do it why- in Savage Worlds. So I'm like, why would why does Savage Worlds so in my opinion, why would Savage Worlds sound more gimmicky than Pathfinder? When it I don't- when it comes down to you as a GM and how you convey and interpret the rules. I think the reason it does is because it doesn't have and this is where the conflict comes in, right? Where that it's the group isn't afraid to try something new. We tried Gumshoe. The group isn't afraid to try Vampire when I first brought that back to them at the, at the beginning. It was totally different than anything we'd done. We have played Traveler, different variations of Traveler, all sorts of shit uh, throughout the years. And it's not that they were afraid to try something new. It's that there is – the systems we've tried previous to this, previous to, to Savage Worlds um, – what do I, how do I want to say this? I, for some dumb reason, it feels like our learning curve was too steep, and I don't know why. And I, we've we've looked at we've looked at some of the the way things are supposed to work with um, aces, and you know, divide by four, do this, do this, do this, and the way some of that stuff functions. And we're like, I don't I don't like this. It doesn't feel right, or and some of it just comes down. Some of it comes down to just a gut check saying, Did you have fun? Yeah, the story was great. I just I wish we would have used um, Traveler instead because it would have been more fun for this. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around specifically with you and your my hangups, my emotional no, hangups. It's not even your hangups. <laughs> it's what you are talking about. So if you take Savage Worlds and Pathfinder and Gumshoe and basic role playing, because that's what Call of Cthulhu is based on. Yes. We're comparing kind of all of them. And Vampire, which I've never played at all. And you take those. How does – how do you determine – why is one like, well, we just don't – and maybe it's just a personal preference. I'm sure I get that. Maybe it's just like, dude, I don't like it because I don't like to divide by four. I don't like raises and how to figure that out. Get a reference card, dude. It's not that hard. See, where you're going is actually I think is – the more we're talking about this, I think I'm – when we started – just before we started recording this, I kind of said, hey, it's the game master that matters. And we've yes. talked about this before where the game master really makes or breaks it. And I kind of see if I can't master the rules so that I can run the way I want to run with it, my group will have a shitty time with them. Now, Savage Rules is not hard. It's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be fast and furious. That's the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Brett, for whatever reason, in my Pollock head, I can't get that through my skull – figure out how to make it go as fast as I want it to the way I want it to. Now, in defense of all Polacks out there, we're just talking about Brett. Just me. Absolutely. <laughs> just me. Just me. Sorry about that. Anyway. <laughs> I'm also well. Hey, look, I got a joke. I got a joke for you. Polak runs, walks into a bar. 
<laughs> nice. I'm also Welsh. Does that help? So anyway, uh, point anyway, point is, is that I have to when I'm running the game, I have to sell it. It's the first time we're playing it, and quite frankly, if I'm not amped up and super excited about it after reading the rules or whatever it is, and I say, hey, this looks like it's going to really facilitate well. I think it's going to let me do what I want to do as improv as I run, as off the cuff as I go. And uh, be able to just kind of fly through this thing like I could with all these other game systems we already know and love, then I have a harder time with it. If we can get going and I don't have to constantly reference the rule book or go, fuck, this is divide by four. How do raises work? Again, shit. The, this, okay, if you hit him, he's oh down God. but not Dude, off the you table. You are playing Pathfinder, which is the. I, have I know sat it's super. In, cr- it's I super have crunchy. sat in encounters. For shit, I am not kidding. At least two freaking hours because it's all that crap. It's all like, oh, I'm flanking. Oh, by the way, I casted bless. Did you take the plus two on that? Oh, I forgot. I, That's a plus part two. Of the, holy part of the shit thing, though, balls. With, part of the thing with Pathfinder and 3.0 and stuff is is length of experience or uh, length of exposure, if you will. Yeah. I already know d and I already have a lot of that background. There are a number of things, apart from a couple bonuses like flanking and this or that, that we already know. I'm six level. How many magic missiles do you get at six level? Two. Right. I believe, at least I believe it's two. And I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> you, probably anyway. cool. you guys probably don't even – it's funny. You probably don't even know the rules. You're just like, well, we've always done it like this. It's always See, been this way. And that's not necessarily bad. But No, it isn't. It, but what, what happens though is that – how do I do this? So I have a le- level of experience with that crunchy, crunchy system. Yeah. We went from 3-0. I played 3-5 with a number of people. When Pathfinder came out, it just rolled. We got it. Whatever it was, we were already in that mode. We're like, okay, great. We also had a number of other games that were less crunchy, like, um, well, Vampire's got some hardcore crunchy, but Amber and uh, some of those pieces that are you know either Diceless or Call of Cthulhu, which is not at all as, as uh, hardcore crunch as Pathfinder. But that's also one of the reasons why we have Pathfinder Burnout with my group right now is because, or at least I and a number of the rest of us do, and other people are just acquiescing perhaps to our, <laughs> to our desire to, to play something a little less, but... We don't want to have to remember all of that stuff. I don't want to have to constantly look shit up, right? So it's not like we were always looking stuff up in Pathfinder because you just bam, 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 you remember it. Now take that and say you've played GURPS for a very long time. And now I say, hey, I want you to try Savage Worlds. I'm going to have the same bloody problem. This is Brett talking. I'm going to have the same problem because I'm like, okay, now raises. Those aren't like this other thing. I'm not – it's a different – it's new enough to me that when I'm trying to learn it and trying to sell it and make it run fast, one of the things I love to do is run quick. My combat has to be fast. I got to make it run, do, 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 bo- go, go, go. I know how to do that in Pathfinder because I know how to crush through certain things. I just, we, the group, again, how we always do it, we'll hand wave certain shit that's boring, move past this, whatever it is. We know all the points that when it sticks, we know how to get past it. We kept sticking. How do raises work again? Fuck, we've done that wrong for the last three rounds. Great. Well, well you know. so and you guys, um, you guys played three zero for a while. Very long time. Yes. Very long time. Yes, I did. I I personally did, and Lenny did as well for quite some. How time. long is the time? A few years. Since it, um, from yeah. when it came out all the way through Pathfinder. So probably be before two thousand. 
yeah. to I think Pathfinders probably just I bought the PHB at Gen Con the year it came out. So at least five years. And go so I know with three O you probably didn't know the system and then you got to know it and then you if you play any system for for even two years, dude, you're going to know that system and it's not going to be like the same first couple times. That's why I think if you get hung up on the first time you play, first of all, who's the GM? Do they know the Absolutely. system? Do they Absolutely. know the system? Because yeah. if you don't know it well and I go – it's like going to a con game, right? If I sit down with you and you go, well, this is really the first time I've ever run uh... – <laughs> That was me at Game Hole, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of – Kind of is this book upside down? You know, I mean, okay, it wasn't that bad, Craig. <laughs> but I don't want to say this. So the other thing is that, and maybe this is a bit of getting old and crotchety, but there's a certain point. I'm like, okay, this system I just absorbed really quick, personal level, blah blah blah. I got it. Move Gumshoe read it. Okay, fine, good. I can totally work with this. Bam, let's go. But for whatever reason, we got into Savage World. Said, oh, Universal, kind of fast paced. This is nice. We got going, and every time we hit a snag. We said, you know, we could we could use uh, World of Darkness. We wouldn't have this fucking problem. We could have told the same damn story. Because they've played World of Darkness. E- exactly. And they looked at it and said, there's nothing new enough in this system that facilitates our story style any better than anything else we already have. It goes away. That's how my group approached it. You know, I uh, see, I think familiarity breeds content. Content or contempt? Contentment? <laughs> content. Being content. Like, it, I, it does. Okay it can. This. It absolutely can. But like I said, the game master you're running, who's running for you, or if you're the one doing it, your presentation style, how you work the rules, how the group has come to know how you adjudicate and how they can interact with it, that all plays. And when you want to learn something new, I read through it and say, I can see where my group will really like this part of it. I don't know if they'll like the rest of it. So when I pitch it to them, I got to say, guys, here's a really cool new system. I think it's got this, this, and this, and this that you're really going to like. This one piece I'm not 100% sure on, but you know what? It's a small piece. Um, Combat's a little more crunchy than we're used to for this type of adventure. Or you know what? Spells are really dangerous in this game. We really got to really watch yourself. Or, hey, they've got whatever. Right. So I've got to take some time and pitch it. And the first thing I need to do is I'm going to read the rules. So when I read them, I read through them once, two, three times, whatever it is. And as I said before, when I read the examples of play, when I read the tone of the author and how they're – are they really focused on balance, 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 balance? Now at this point in my gaming career, I don't give a shit about that, as I said last time. Episode two. Um, exactly. Um, the other piece then is that when I read it and say this is how to play this game right, at least by – to the intentions of the author or authors, the storytelling aspects, the things that my group holds dear should be done in this format. If I look at it and go, you know what? They're not going to buy that. I'm not going to pitch it to them. All right. <laughs> but anyway, I think at the end of it, though, it comes down to how you use how you use the system with your group and how you as an individual person run it. That's why I say I want to play I want to play Savage Worlds with somebody who knows the game better than me, which is damn near anybody else who's run Savage Worlds. I want someone to run it so I can sit down and play it and say, oh, that's how that works. I bet it's really cool, which is one of the reasons why I started going to 
Uh, I want to go to to Gamehole Con again next year. Just kind of like I said earlier, this year I perused earlier being a couple of podcasts ago. I just kind of perused the scene, saw what was there, and so forth. One of the cool things about that type of experience, or finding people who know how to run a game, who, who know it like the back of the hand, are huge fans of it. If you can find somebody who knows it really well as a fan of it, they're going to have an easier time running you through stuff when you hit that snag. And I go, Sean, I, this DCC thing, man, I mean, I've read the rules. I kind of get how the dice work, but I'm I'm stuck on this piece. You're like, don't worry, dude. I know this game really well. When it comes time, I'll walk you through it. Yeah, that does – I mean, that's good for cons. And you hope that you get a GM that knows the rules and has run it more than zero times, <laughs> <laughs> including yours truly. But, you know, Michael Brown, who – is on the Dead Gamer Society podcast. He's the guy I post pictures who does a, a production. He's more production. We've had this conversation, Michael and I, so it's not like it's a dig or not, and he agrees. I said, dude, you're all production. Not, I mean, granted, it's a good story and everything, but you you do really well on production. I mean, he he did Castastrophe. And he dresses like Gene Simmons. He dressed up like Gene Simmons. I think this past game hole, he dressed up as the biggest Kiss fan. And but he still put makeup on, but like an old denim jacket with like a big kiss patch on the back and whatever. But he goes out of his way to get people in the mood, and that was the Ses- uh, Nightmare on Sesame Street game that I was actually um, involved in. Where now, he- did anybody at that game look at him and go, "That's not how the rules are"? Did no. Anybody- well, the reason is is because well, when you sit down, I, I was actually that guy. Kind did of. Did you? Yeah. Well, did- so he was running D twenty uh, D twenty Call of Cthulhu. You should have thrown your ass out. I know. I didn't bring it up. I went with, I go with the flow, but, um, he was running D 20 call of Cthulhu and, um, you know, so D 20 is really easy. Here's your skills. Just roll your skill and apply that bonus. So if you have a skill of, uh, call of Cthulhu, say investigation and it's five, you roll a D 20, you add the five to it. Pretty simple, straightforward. He puts in some unique powers into, um, some unique powers that he makes up himself. Hello, you're dialing somebody? Anybody home? <laughs> Didn't mean to. Sorry about that. Um, but he – so it, it, he'll even say like, okay, well, um, what are you going to do? And the person will say, well, what can I do? Maybe – and he'll maybe make some options. But Michael, he he does not know the rules very well because it's – I mean it's really straightforward. You just look on your sheet and go, oh, I've got this. I think I can do that. Okay, yeah, see, give me when you play with when you play with him – you know that's how Michael runs. And when you see the dude show up in a Kiss costume, when you see him show up as Captain Steubing on the love boat, you know this is the game, right? Now, right. I don't show up in costume at my game. Occasionally, I wear my kilt. That's about it. But the point is is that I know my group. They know how I run. They know what I'm going to do. So I, when I look at a new system, I say, well, I really like this, guys. Will you give it a shot? And 99 times out of 100, they say, yes, we will. We'll try it. We'll get in there and we'll play it and we'll read it. Can you give me something new? Can I look at this? What can I what can I check out to bone up on the rules before we get together? Great. We'll go for it and we'll see what we can do. And we try stuff. We try new stuff all the time. Whenever we will read something, go, hey, I think this is cool. Let's give this a shot. I think it'll work for us. Now again, somebody has to audit it at the beginning because we only have so much time. We get together once a month a game, maybe twice if we're lucky. So we don't quite frankly want to waste our time learning something that uh, upon first read through we think is 
gimmicky or we think isn't going to cut it for us or I'm, you know, they, they look at it and go, you know what, Brett, there's no way the group will like this. Cause as soon as somebody does excellent, he's going to punch him in the face. As soon as somebody does this, Jarrell, will flip the table and uh, we'll be burying somebody. Dude, I got to totally watch you guys game. That sounds awesome. That's pretty hardcore, man. Hey, no, so <laughs> let's, uh, so final words, we could go on for like another hour on this topic for sure. Easily. Let's do that. All right. Let's say for another, <laughs> Brett, you want to start off? All right. Uh, so I think our main, our main, or at least my main premise here in the theme is that it's, it's how you use the system and how you GM it and all those things that either enforce or don't enforce how a system matters to you. That's kind of where I'm coming that's from. That's the end. That's the overall message. I think so. If you didn't that's get just, that from the last like 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Then you I'm know, sorry. That's I'm okay. Really sorry. Let's get into that's as, good as, that's as good as we can do. Moving on. Let's get into die roll. Die roll two to four, two to five, maybe ten points. Ten things we two to five things we come up about gaming or geekery. I have much more than Brett. We talked about these earlier, so we'll rehash them. Brett, you want to start off with your measly two? What I have? Yes, I have um, four this week. You have a number wrong. Okay, I do. Well, probably that's do. me. Anyway, so I, I saw out of uh, homage to my youth and in honor of Sean's request, I went and saw the uh, official Star Wars trailer, the Wes Anderson version of it, the quote-unquote Lucas version, I've, the Michael Bay version. And regardless of how many versions I saw, I was unmoved. Um, I need to see the movie, and as Sean and I were talking about <laughs> earlier, I'm going to see the damn movie. It's going to happen, right? It's fucking Star Wars. I'm going to see it. Without I, Lucas. Exactly, which means hopefully it'll be like Empire and I'll like it. It can't get any worse. No, it cannot. No, it cannot. So anyway, the trailer, I went, eh, I don't know. I, I get that if you're a Star Wars geek, dude, I, I get. like, Oh, my God, this is awesome. It's actually going to happen, which is cool. I get that. It was kind of how I felt when the Lord of the Rings, the first trailer's pieces came out. I'm like, this is fucking happening now. This is awesome. But Star Wars, I am still unmoved. Hopefully I will be moved later. The last thing I got, Sean shaking his head at me. The last thing I have is uh, Evercon, is that little uh, game convention up in my hometown for the DC Everest Game Club. And uh, this year I've got two events that I'm going to do with them. And we're going to run an old school game challenge, OSR style. We're going to do basically a tournament, get three teams of, you know, three, four kids. And we're going to run through these different challenges. And then at the tail end of it, whomever's racked up the most amount of points, they go through a great big dungeon at the end. I got um, some grayed out dice bags for uh, for prizes for kids. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the last thing we're doing is um, there's a lot of kids in the in the club and people who show up. They're into different aspects of geekery that are out there and they kind of want to play but don't know what it's all about. So we're going to kind of we're going to do a live D and D game where I'm going to run a game with Chad uh, Chad Knight, one of our friends of the show and a buddy of mine. He's the guy who got me into Evercon. <laughs> Actually, we just went game together. But anyhow. We're going to get together with a bunch of other players, uh, seasoned players, and when we run, we're going to reach out to the crowd and pull people in. What do you want these or- orcs to do? What spell should he cast? What happens here? That type of thing. Trying to get some interaction to it. I think it'll be a hoot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds great. Hope Over I, to you, hope, man. I wish you videotaped it so I could watch it. I don't think I'll be able to make it up there. So, hey, yeah. It's not a bad idea. Uh, Wonderful. I wonder. Maybe. Uh, All right. On, off you go. Uh, custom Star Wars miniatures table with LED. So if you're playing the miniatures game from Fantasy Flight Games, 
check out our show notes. There's a link to this article. It's on StarWars.com. It's a fully operational fandom, incredible custom X-Wing mini miniatures or X-Wing miniatures gaming table. That's the link um, in the show notes. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's got LEDs. It's got uh, a border around where you can put the cards and things of that nature. Um, it's it's actually like, what, I think 48 by 48 or 36 by, and then the playing side is 36 by 36 uh, square. That So it's actually regulation table size. It's really awesome. Check it out, especially if you're playing that game. You're going to love that thing. Um, and I think somebody just cu- they custom made it, so I don't know if there's – I don't think there's instructions on how to make it, but talk about some uh, inspiration. Very 3D cool. three Huh? Very cool. That's just awesome. 3D print your own working Stargate. So Stargate from the movie and the SG-1 series, um, it's on io9.com. Again, link in the show notes where somebody – it rotates and it's got LEDs that light up on the side, and it looks – pretty freaking cool and uh so uh, i can give you my address just email me get me one of those two things for christmas and uh yeah that'll be good i'll see what i can do and then terminator genesis the trailer (laughs) i saw this trailer before you put this out i saw it earlier today and my first response was why 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 just kill this franchise please god because i think it's got arnold in it I don't care. It could have the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not want to see this. Oh, I would see that then. <laughs> well, I, I might see it then, maybe. Terminator versus, versus the son of son of God. That that might be interesting. No, but serious. I mean, all horrible um, blasphemy aside, the the Terminator Genesis, the concept of it, I kind of get the alternate timeline thing, whatnot, but I just, after what happened with the last two, I don't care. I just I, I they've got to do something really cool to reignite this thing. Otherwise, it needs to go away. It's coming out in the summer, folks. Check out the trailer online. It's out there. My last one before we sign off: Asteroid Day. That's right, Asteroid Day. They're launching. Everyone gets everyone gets free quarters from their mom to go play Asteroids, which would be awesome because I loved Asteroids as a kid. I saw guys roll that game. Really? Yeah, I, I, I watched and learned a lot of how to play Asteroids by watching this guy. His name was Rick Curley, Curlin. And that guy would put in a quarter and he'd play Asteroids for like, I don't know if it was like an hour or two hours, and he'd roll oh, the machine. Shit. Yeah, he, because what you do is you have one Asteroid left, and you just smash them all. You keep one Asteroid on the screen at all costs. And then when the spaceships come out, you just nail those suckers all day long, and you go up and down the screen. That's all you do. You just fly vertically. Through the screen. <laughs> and then you hope that one of those spaceships don't come in and blast your last asteroid. But yeah, so some, just, good, some good 80s video gaming tips for you. you. Go, if you ever huh? go back in time Dude, call to me. a horrible Terminator Genesis movie, you can play asteroids. Anyway, carry on. Asteroid Day. So it, they're looking to get that set for June 30th of 2015, and that's to get people to recognize near-Earth objects. So when the asteroid comes close to smashing earth that we have an awareness about it and uh the as opposed to waiting till we're all dead exactly oh look hey nasa uh great or or orion hey that's great but you know we got this huge rock coming towards us maybe we oh you know mars rover great but what about that big asteroid that's going to smash or a comet's going to smash into our our land here anyways 
the significance of June 30th is would it would mark the 107th anniversary of the Tunguska event. And that was in 1908, if you don't know about this. Uh, a near-Earth object thought to be about 130 feet or four, 40 meters wide exploded above the Padkamenaya Tunguska River in Siberia. And it destroyed 800 square miles of forest. It's a lot. And it's not that big, but that just gives you the significant velocity this thing came in at. Um, and quote by Bill Nye, a.k.a. Science Guy, if that event had taken place six and a half hours later, Berlin would have rotated into the object's path and that would have utterly changed the course of human civilization. Unquote. Well, there's a couple world wars and things like that that probably could have not. Yeah, I didn't think anything was going on at that time. And, you know, Berlin got leveled. Well, I mean, tragic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tragic. <laughs> As opposed to a bunch of forests with no people in it. Let's just, yeah. Oh, Berlin's gone. Silver to a bunch of trees. Is that what you're saying? It's horrible. I don't know anything. Anyways, so I brought those up. Um, and I thought they were interesting nonetheless. That is cool. That's cool stuff. Yeah, so thanks for listening. That's all we have for episode 13 of Gaming and BS. I'm one of your Bretton News awesomer in this episode. He did that in the first one, but I am your more awesomer co-host, Sean. I'm the most, I'm the most awesome-est, Brett. Dirty <laughs> bastard. He's always trying to one-up me. Thanks for listening, guys. Good night, good game and all.